And welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. I got a great episode today, dare I say unique. I'm talking with Taryn Harper-Wright, who has made a name for herself as the premier internet hoax buster. And let me tell you how she does it. She seeks out these elaborate schemes of people who have created these worlds where they pretend to be sick and dying, or that someone close to them is sick or dying, all for the the sake, uh, for the purpose of gaining attention from other people around them through forums and through interpersonal communication online. It's it's a very incredible world that we're going to dive into here. And this marks the four-year anniversary of her efforts, um, starting with the Warrior Eli hoax that later became the Warrior Eli website that she kind of reports through. Um, this is going to be a great one, and you got to hear it to believe it. Let's jump right into this. We've got to get you right on to stories here. Taryn, thank you for being on the program today. Um, so this is a big topic we're going to get into. Uh, so why don't you explain exactly what you do in your own words? Okay. Um, I completely fell into this entire thing, but what my blog is about is basically finding um, internet hoaxes, people that are faking some sort of illness, um, sometimes online only, but sometimes also online and in real life. Um, so basically we investigate this kind of thing and research, 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 like you wouldn't believe. And then, um, most of the time we name the person that's actually behind the, uh, hoax. So we're doing this for about four years and, um, a lot of people have strong opinions on it. So that's always a good thing. So you're a hoax hunter. I am a hoax hunter. Yeah. Now, when we say hoax, I mean, you, you're very specific. You're not talking about people who fake Bigfoot or UFOs. You're talking specifically about people who fake illnesses online and um, you bust them. Right. That's my primary interest for sure. Um, and I'm really even not interested in people that are faking illnesses to raise money online. Um, I'm super fascinated by the people that kind of create their own little universe with sock puppets and stuff. Um, to make a convincing story so they could sort of draw people into believing them and just for the attention, basically, not for money or any kind of financial gain. See, that's kind of the weird part to me. So we'll get into like what this syndrome is and how it's very specific to people not wanting money. But in like the type of person that I am, like if I was if I had the drive to bust these people like you did, I would be more interested in the people that were scamming other people out of money than just out of people who were looking for attention. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, you can go either way on it. I think for me, it's just so interesting to think of the psychology behind it. Um, just the, the the people, I mean, they have to be getting some sort of like dopamine rush or something from having people believe them and people complimenting them on things that really have nothing to do with them. I mean, obviously, they're getting some sense of satisfaction from that, which I just find really interesting and sort of different than um, my life experience. So. For me, that's the interesting thing. I mean, honestly, people that are using the Internet to raise money illegally, they would be robbing a bank. I mean, the Internet is just a tool for them. It's not something that is kind of unique or anything like that to the Internet. I think that this really is. I mean, this is um, people that they kind of like draw people into this web where people believe their story and they take over so much of, of someone's attention and so much of somebody's time. It's kind of unbelievable, actually. Yeah, it, it is. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not a doctor. Are you a doctor? I don't know if you're a doctor. I'm not, not a doctor, no. Okay, so neither one of us are doctors. So anything that I say from here on out is just speculation and things that I looked into. But in a lot of articles, um, what a lot of people call this is Munchausen by Internet, which isn't actually an official psychosis uh, by right. the DSM. 
But it has a lot of, so we'll just say, you know, I think it's called factitious um, disorder or, or factitious disease. But mm-hmm. basically, what it is, if I understand it correctly, uh, is these are people, there's, there's some strange characteristics that are very specific. Um, they're usually highly knowledgeable about a disease. Um, and, and it is not for material gain. Like you said, most of the people that are actually doing this, not just the ones you're busting, but they're not doing it for material gain. They just want to get the attention. Like you said, the dopamine rush. Um, mm-hmm. and they know they're not sick. That is also very important. Uh, and, and one of the other things that I was reading about is that they're open to exploratory surgery. So these are people who go to extreme lengths in order to perpetuate this story. Um, that's, that's so bizarre to me, this this whole phenomenon. Is this kind of what you've in, experienced and encountered, these types of people? Yeah, I mean, with my stuff, most of the stuff that I write about is, is just Munchausen by Internet, which people wouldn't have exploratory surgery for that. But for Munchausen syndrome, they definitely do. I mean, they, they either will go in and get the attention of doctors, um, try to convince doctors that they're sick, and they actually, like, do things like rub, you know, like biological waste into wounds so they get infected, um, take poison so people wonder what's wrong with them and, and they do all sorts of tests to find out what's, what's going on with the person's medical stuff. Um, Munchausen by proxy is when somebody makes a family member or a loved one sick for attention. And Munchausen by internet is a manifestation of this where they make somebody they either pretend to be sick online or they pretend to have a sick relative online for attention. Um, and what shocked me is I the psychiatrist who's also a psychologist who came up with the, the uh, term Munchausen by Internet is Dr. Mark Feldman, and he and I have talked a bunch since I started my blog. And he told me that if the people that I'm writing about um, didn't have the Internet, they would be going into hospitals and pretending to be sick. Like that's how kind of deeply this type of disorder kind of goes into their brain, um, where they, they just feel really compelled to do this. The Internet just happens to be the way that they do it. But if they didn't have the internet, they'd be actually going into hospitals and pretending to be sick. And so this is very different than hypochondria, which is a very similar um, psychological manifestation, but that people actually believe that they're sick. Yeah. I so it's a so. little different. Yeah. So this is, so there, you know, it's funny when you start getting into the psychological, the psychosis, uh, there's very strong delineations between these things. Um, and what you do is very specific. Uh, so now you said you fell into this. Now, how, yeah. how what does that what does that mean? Like, how did you how did you fall into it? How does this accidentally happen, Taryn? Uh, this is yeah, it, it did totally accidentally happen. I never saw myself as writing about anything like this. I've always been really fascinated by people who do this type of thing. I mean, I remember even when I was in college in the really early two thousands, I remember reading about people that were sort of busted for faking cancer online and using other people's pictures to sort of pull off, um, you know, hoodwinking a bunch of people. But I didn't really know very much about it. Um, I had a hip injury where it was just a freaking nightmare. And I was stuck in bed, just like on complete and total bed rest for six weeks. I was on crutches for two years and had to move in with my parents. They had to take care of me. It was just awful, awful, awful. But um, during this time, I was just kind of requesting books from the library and just reading pretty much anything that I could get my hands on because I was so bored. And I read a book by Dr. Mark Feldman about Munchausen syndrome and Munchausen by internet. Um, so two months later, I was it was Mother's Day, and I was going on Facebook right before I went to bed. I saw this post from a um, friend who was talking about how she was really tired of people complaining about things in their lives being terrible. She had just heard this terrible story about a family that had a little child who was about to die of cancer. And the mother of the family had been in a head-on collision the night before. Um, And the mother had died, but not before giving birth to her 11th child. And um, this woman was just like so upset. I mean, such a compassionate, kind human, this woman that was sharing the post. Just saying, hey, you know, like count your blessings. I'm, I'm keeping this person in my thoughts. So right away when I heard that story, I am really, really nosy. And I thought, well, I'll read some news articles about this thing before I go to bed. And I couldn't find anything. And then I couldn't find any um, Google results for the family that they didn't write themselves. I found lots of blogs and lots of sort of social media stuff, but no 
this woman that died was supposedly a trauma surgeon, and there was no, like, hospital cage or anything like that for her. Um, her husband was a Canadian Mountie. There was nothing like that involved in his work or even, I mean, like kids and their family, you'd see something that they said, oh, they played t-ball or something. You know, like they would have had some sort of Google results. Um, so I just sort of started running the pictures that they, that this family had posted claiming that it was members of their family, claiming that the pictures were members of their family. And they came up um, as belonging to a South African mommy blogger. So right away, I kind of knew that things were not uh, as they seemed, and I decided to let the people whose pictures had been stolen kind of know what was going on. So I just really opened a WordPress account just so I could have a central thing to sort of, a central place to explain the situation without having to write 4,000 emails. Um, And it kind of picked up from there. I mean, people just sort of started sending me emails, updating me on the interaction that they had had with this family. Uh, I kept updating the WordPress blog, and it it was passed around on Facebook and things like that. And um, by the end of the first day, um, I got a confession from the person who did it. I figured out the person who was behind the hoax, figured out that it had gone on for 11 years and involved 72 fake Facebook profiles, um, and got a confession from the person who did it. Now, this is this is a big one. I didn't want to go into this until later, but this is very organic place to talk about this because you're talking about this is the Warrior Eli thing, and this yeah. is what your mm-hmm. blog post is named after. Right. Um, now, you know, this... I, I, I've looked through a lot of the hoaxes that you've uncovered, and my guess is this was the most elaborate. Is that true? Um, This is the most... I mean, I, I've come across ones that, that were pretty elaborate. As far as the sheer amount of stock puppets and things like that, yes, this one definitely was the most elaborate. I think this one probably also went along went around for the longest time. Well, it's, I mean, this is, uh, it's pretty amazing. You said 72, now when you say sock puppets, I assume you mean fake profiles? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is, that the, is that the technical term, sock puppet? <laughs> yes, yes. No, I, I have like no it. idea. People ask me where I heard that thing. I thought that that was just sort of something that everybody knew. I have no idea where I heard it, but I do know that that's what it is. <laughs> I like that. I mean, <laughs> the sheer, I mean, the sheer complexity of that is just absolutely phenomenal. 72 fake personalities that are all interacting with each other. Right. Um, I mean, here's the funny thing. So I have a couple of Twitter accounts. I've got a couple different side projects, right? I get mm-hmm. busted if I tweet, like, my personal one against my, you know, for the one for this podcast, someone will bust me on right. that. And that's two. And they're not even sock puppets. How does, right. I mean, I'm actually extremely impressed by someone who can maintain that kind of house of cards for any me length of too. time. Me too. Me too. I mean, just think about how that she needs 72. And I think actually at the end of it, it was closer to 80. But I mean, at least 72 fake emails and stuff to get that many Facebook, Facebook profiles. And yeah, I'm, I'm totally the same way. I will be trying to post on somebody's wall and accidentally use it as my status update. So I, I couldn't, I don't think I can handle two Facebook accounts, let alone 72. Right. That's, that's amazing. And, you know, uh, the thing about this one is that th- th- this was, I mean, pe- they were selling bracelets. I mean, people really bought into this, didn't they? People were not, they were not selling bracelets. Even more interesting oh. like me is she was actually, people would just say, hey, I'm, I'm keeping your, um, you know, I, I'm rooting for your son. And she would say, hey, can we send you a care package? So she would send out at her own expense a care package with a plastic bracelet with Warrior Eli written on it. Um, two pictures she had printed out from her computer had printed of the little guy, like little, you know, pictures that you could actually put in a frame. Um, a coloring page that the little boy supposedly had done. I mean, she kind of went all out and she sent these all over the world. That's see, that's where it kind of gets. I mean, this is where like where you've clearly wrapped your head around this. And the thing that I can't understand is there's got to be other reasons for this because you know someone's putting forth. They're not even scamming you for money. They're they're they've put their own money into this into this charade, and they're passing the stuff around the entire world. I just at their own expense. I mean, when those words at your their own expense, it's just right. that's the disconnect for me. I mean, what do they get out of sending someone else like a bracelet? Uh, I think that's what makes it interesting to me. I mean, I think that um, it has to be. She has to take from what I can from after talking to so many of the people that I've written about. I think that they take some sort of pride in knowing that they somebody believes them, but also these are people that 
a lot of them are really closely follow the communities in which they're trying to sort of perpetuate the hoax. Like the first, the, the first warrior Eli hoax, um, she was very involved in following other pages in the childhood cancer community. And I think she almost admires the parents of these kids so much that she wants to sort of honor them by emulating them, by inventing this entire thing. And she wants to like show that somebody could be strong and somebody could be, good and somebody can have a sense of humor even though they have a child that's dying of cancer. So I think it's, I don't know. I mean, the psychology of it is so interesting to me. Um, again, because I don't understand it. I don't understand why somebody would do that, but I mean, it obviously happens. Well, and this, I mean, I guess this is the one that was very special to you because not only was it your first, like, hoax bust, but it's also extremely elaborate. And it's also the name of your blog. So this uh, this must have some sort of special meaning to you in a weird way. Um, it, it, I mean, it was definitely, I think it was, the, it was the most fun one for me, as weird as that sounds. It was, so when I did this entire first blog entry about the Warrior Eli stuff, um, this first case or whatever you want to call it, this was before, to me, it was just sort of getting to the bottom of this gigantic puzzle. I mean, I didn't have any member of my family who had cancer, who had died of cancer. Um, I didn't know any kids who really had cancer or anything like that. So for me, I just kind of thought of this as this mystery and, oh, I'm going to get to the bottom and figure out who this is. Um, after I wrote about it, I heard from so many people who were affected by it, who had like left the bedsides of their, the bedside of their dying child to comfort this imaginary family when they heard that their son had relapsed and how they the people that had been lied to were so upset because they could never get this time back with their kid you know their kid had actually died um i heard from people who had interacted with the fake family for so many years that they considered themselves to be best friends with one member of it and again like they could never get the time back and i also talked to the person who wrote the hoax and who was behind it and I heard how it had kind of snowballed for her. Like she started it out as a young teenager, you know, 16 or something, um, with just a story online, and it had kind of taken on a life of its own. So I think the the Warrior Eli one was the most fun for me because I was really innocent to the people who were actually being hurt by this type of thing. Um, and again, I just popped the blog up just to send it to people, so I didn't really think of the name or anything like that too much. Well, it's there forever now, Taryn. I know, I know. That's I know. It. It, it, I've got to become better at it. <laughs> sort of like designing web pages or coming up with titles and stuff. But yeah, it's worked okay. in four years. It's, it's, it's holding up pretty well. Well, a pro tip, if you ever want to start a new website, you can just make your create your own URL and just have, you know, forward your Warrior Eli to that one. Oh yeah, okay. Good, good, good advice. Good yeah, advice. If you ever want to change it, you know, people like it now, but that way you can pay for both, and you don't have to lose either one, and you can have one as your main one. I like it. Good advice. There you go. Um, <laughs> so, so this brings up two topics. I've got two directions to go in. I'm going to go one because I think it's a little bit shorter. What is your background in all this? I mean, it sounds like you like mysteries. I've heard you mention Nancy Drew. Uh, do you have any formal <laughs> PI training? Um, what, where, where does this come from? I do not have any formal PI training, but I do like imagining myself with PI training, like running around Honolulu, like Magnum PI or something. But um, <laughs> no, my my dad is a Chicago police officer. He's retired. Um, I have a lot of family in law enforcement. So I kind of grew up hearing about um, cases and things like that. I mean, we as a family watched Dateline in 2020 and, you know, any any of the this, this stupid, like, recreated mystery things on um, ID discovery and all that. So we have been, we've always been a family that was kind of nosy when it comes to things like that. Um, I did like mysteries growing up, but and I'm an English major. I was doing nothing related to this um, field at all. I was I was a futures trader when my blog started. So I I don't know. I don't know how it kind of worked out so well that I was pretty good at doing this stuff, even though I didn't have a background in anything like this. So did you, now, you're under oath, I just want to remind you. Um, of course. Have you, did you ever use your dad's um, connections, abilities to kind of get a little, get ahead in this game? No, not at all. <laughs> he, uh, he retired in 1996, but he, or 1995, I think, just since I'm under oath, I think it was 95. Um, but he 
at the end of his career, he was a um, just like a desk sergeant in in the court section. So no, I, I never used I never used any kind of connection when it comes to getting information. I mean, I probably should have thought of that, but I just never did. Are you thanks to me? Are you going to start using him as a resource from here on out? He would love it. I mean, he, he I can't even tell you how happy he would be. He tells people like, oh, this is my daughter. She gets her investigative chops for me, even though he really. He, oh, most of his career, he was behind a desk, but oh, I think he kind of just liked, dad <laughs> burn. liked the idea of it. I know. Thank God he, he thinks the internet is a fad and computers are a fad, so he will never hear the, the good thing about it. Wait, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to stop for a second. Your dad thinks the internet is a fad? He does. He, is, <laughs> um, he, he uses a, a uh, what do you call it, like a typewriter that has a typewriter ribbon, a manual typewriter. That would be the name of it. Yep. Uh, he runs a business. He sells used cars, and he's been doing it for 20 years, and he does it with a filing cabinet and a manual typewriter. That's amazing. I think this, this interview has just taken a drastic turn. That is fascinating <laughs> to me. Hold on a second. So he uses, he uses a manual typewriter. Uh, yep. Does, um, does he say stuff like, yeah, see, this is how you do things, and like have like a fedora? <laughs> he, said, he literally says, computers are a fad. And I said, I mean, and when I was, trading for a living. I was working from home off a computer. You know, I, w- I wasn't like going into the board of trade or anything. And he would still say like, don't get too attached to this job. Uh, I know that computers are going to fade out. Like everybody's just going to go back to, I guess, holding up, I don't know, like signs or something in the, in the trading pit. I mean, he's, he's interesting when it comes to that. He's, he still kind of stands with his idea that it's a fad. We're going to turn the page on this whole computer thing soon. Well, it's funny that he sells used cars and not horse and buggy, but I mean, you know, it's, I mean, the only way we would go back to not having computers would be if like an EMP, EMP shut down the entire electrical grid. I mean, then he'd be proven right. And then I would actually really like him to be vindicated. But I think that's the only way. I, yeah, I don't know if I'm rooting for that. I don't know if I'm rooting for that. But he, um, he's, he's got some strong ideas when it comes to that sort of thing. So you can only imagine how he explains what I do to people. <laughs> yeah, he no doesn't kidding. really believe in computers, so just to hear him describe it has been one of the great joys of my blog. Yeah, you should start. There's a there's a um, a great, uh, it actually became a TV show, a great, great Twitter feed, and I'm going to use some profane language here, so alert to the audience listeners, but it's called Shit My Dad Says. And I oh, think, yeah. and I think you should start a blog about. You should call it "Shit My Dad Believes" and put that up, <laughs> or about computers. And I would love to. I think that'd be really fascinating because I don't know a lot of luddites. Actually, one guy I interviewed. Um, he he takes. He's a photographer, and he's really anti computers as well. Um, beautiful photography, by the way. Um, Michael Paul Smith. Uh, shameless plug there but he's the only person i've ever known who um doesn't really like computers and just as a last shout out to your dad i'm actually working on three computers right now during this interview so maybe <laughs> i've, I've got played, one in front of me so. <laughs> i might have gone in the other direction um <laughs> me too but anyway let's 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 get move on with this um so th- this the thing that kind of uh so we were talking about um the the extensive, like kind of elaborate nature of this Warrior Eli blog. Uh, and I know this is, you've heard this comparison before. I'd like to believe that I'm coming up with something brand new, but I'm not. Uh, but I'm sure you've heard of catfishing. Mm-hmm. So it was the, you know about the, have you seen the documentary? I have, yes. So the thing that always struck me about the documentary is that personal opinion, I think the entire documentary was faked, but uh, I think that was the real big catfish, not to be super meta or hyper paranoid. I guess that <laughs> not to make fun of your dad too much, but my big thing is I'm extremely paranoid about these types of things, so I'm pretty sure that documentary was faked. Nonetheless, I believe it was probably based on a true story. I know these things actually exist, and a lot of these people put together these elaborate online personalities, and, and instead of saying that they're sick to attract attention, they kind of latch onto someone um, and gain their attention, but never actually meet the person because they aren't the person. Um, and in that movie, I was really blown away by how elaborate this person's life was. And the reason that they gave was very simple, just like the one you gave about the person for Warrior Eli, is that they started it and it just kind of got out of control and you just kind of got caught up in it. I mean, do you think that really right. happens? Oh, yeah. I mean, for four years now, I've been writing about how it really happens. I think that People start something and then they get a little bit of attention for it and then they like the feeling of getting attention for it. And a lot of a lot of the people that I write about um, end up being somebody who doesn't take a lot of social risks with their own 
story. Um, so I think this is kind of a way for them to get out there, you know, by out there, I mean, on online, um, get out and, and sort of share something about themselves, even though it's not real, and kind of get a reaction for, from it. And you can see why that would sort of be intoxicating for somebody who's shy or somebody who doesn't feel comfortable in their own skin. Yeah, I could, I could understand that. Um, yeah, and, and I'm not trying to judge anyone doing these types of things. I mean, I've done some really stupid things in my life, Taryn. I'm not going to go into them right now, but I have. Uh, <laughs> Me too. Especially I, if, again, I don't want to go into them either. Right. Like if your dad's listening, I think the statute of limitations is still out on those. So I don't want to get busted. But I've done some really stupid right, things. Right. Um, but, you know, it just it, – the thing that I guess – on that topic, the thing that does kind of bother me about this is that this is usually stuff about kids and about cancer, from what I can understand. Is that is that kind of like what you've like what you've encountered? Is it mostly kids and mostly cancer? Um. Yeah. I mean, it. it I think that that's. I think kids with cancer would probably, be, if I were a parent, I think that that would be my biggest fear. Mm, um. I, I think cancer is one of our biggest fears as a society. I mean, nobody obviously wants to get that, and I think people, it's sort of the boogeyman for a lot of us that we worry that it's slowly growing inside of us or something and we don't know it. Mm. So I think that it, it that definitely is a popular one. Um, I get a lot of them, though. I mean, eating disorders, um, fake adoptions, people saying that somebody got hit by a car and are in a coma, um, preemie twins. There's lots of twins involved in everything that I write about. Mm. So it's kind of all over. The, I, I think cancer would probably be the, the, um, the one that sort of hits the jackpot the most, but at the same time, there's kind of a lot of things that people are faking online as far as illnesses go. Yeah, I mean, you know, with this whole faking illnesses online, the thing that strikes me about it is um, it's, it seems like really bad karma. Like, I feel like you'd get really bad oh, yeah. juju, to use a, a very technical term. You know what I mean? Does that does that ever play into people's minds when you talk to them afterwards? Does that ever come up in conversation? I know you talk to a lot of people that you bust. I do. Um I haven't really ever brought that up because, I, I mean, I, I think that. I, I, I think I would be worried about doing it just because I would think, oh, my God. I mean, sometimes I research cancer so much, I think, oh, my gosh, I know I have something. I don't want to too much about this. But I, I can see how they – I honestly don't think a lot of them are thinking of it as themselves faking it. I think that they think they've sort of created a character, and the character becomes very real to them. Mm, I see. I see. So it's – but I mean, a lot of these people are stealing real pictures. I mean, of real people. Right. So, I mean, I guess. Look, I mean, if you were making an argument in under in a, in a court of law and trying to argue against karma and saying, "Look, karma, you don't have to hit me because the pictures are real, but the person's not real," I don't know how karma would feel about that. You know, because the intention is still. I don't know. I don't know how I don't know how karma works. Is basically what I'm saying. But I feel like this falls <laughs> into that category. And the wrong person to ask for sure. But I were. I mean, I I think that. I personally would have a hard time, saying, but you know what? I don't have this problem, so it's like a completely different thing. I mean, obviously, any of us sort of looking at this from the outside would say, oh, my gosh, that's in bad taste, or at the very least, to take somebody's picture of a kid who's really suffering from something and claim that it's your own child or something. Yeah. But I don't think that it starts out with them thinking, I'm going to do something terrible today. I'm going to take this picture and create this entire elaborate ruse and take all these people in and take them for one heck of a roller coaster ride is like day to day to day, they flip in and out of comas and stuff. I think it kind of evolves just like my blog, sort of organically where they didn't expect it. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, yeah, yeah, your blog is kind of like an interesting parallel to all these things, you know, because it did just kind of take off. You fell into it, and now it's uh, a runaway train that's out of control. <laughs> I just thought of that for the first time, so yeah. well done. You're welcome. That was me. I, I made that <laughs> thought happen. Uh, so, Very deep. Yeah. so when I was going through your blog, the thing that kind of struck me is that you were extremely active in 2013. I mean, very active, like mm -hmm. posts two or three times a month. And since then, you know, maybe, maybe you've posted 10 times since 2014. Um, mm -hmm. is that because you've officially cleaned up the internet or what happened? Yep. Job well done. Mm -hmm. Uh, no, Congratulations. It is because, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, it is because I started sort of handling, if, if it didn't, if it was something that, so what you have to understand about this is when I blog about someone, um, it involves a lot more than what you see on the blog. Like I feel a responsibility if I write about somebody and reveal their name, like I kind of follow up with them and make sure that they're doing okay. Um, I make sure that they have a support system that kind of knows what's going on. I try really hard to get them to 
find um, mental health help if they feel like they need it in their area. Um, I also have to deal with the people who have been lied to for, you know, some in some cases years where I sort of follow up with them to make sure that they're doing okay. Um, I try to hook them up with people who have been through this sort of thing before so they can see that, hey, I'm not stupid for falling for this. Like a lot of people fall for stuff on the Internet. It doesn't mean that I was dumb or that I was gullible or anything like that. Um, so there is sort of a massive, I mean, it's like a lot to deal with, and it's a lot to sort of carry on my shoulders um, after writing one of these things. And, and I, I don't want to change the way that I do it. Like, I, I like, I like, um, I if I'm going to write about this stuff, I have to do it like that. That's just sort of the way I am. Um, but for, since the last two years or the past two and a half years, if it's a hoax that doesn't involve an awful lot of people, like in the thousands, um, if they only have a couple of hundred Twitter followers or a couple of hundred Facebook followers, I try to handle it without writing about it on the blog. Like I will find the person's support system and like tell them, or I will tell the person themselves, like I noticed that you're doing this, please don't do this anymore. I don't want to write about you at any point. Um, I also changed it to if, if teenagers are doing it, I don't write about them. I, in one case, did write about a teenager, but it was just because she kind of went on and on and on with it. But I don't think that somebody who's a teenager really should be. My blog has become kind of um, well-known, and I don't want to sort of feel like I'm doing something that will adversely affect them for something stupid that they did when they were in high school, you know? So I think that that's, I, I've become much more choosy in selecting the stuff that I do write about. No, that's fair. So I guess because I think your two rules that I read were something has to be really egregious and no one under 18. And so I was going to ask you to define really egregious. And I think that what you're saying is the number of it's not necessarily the complexity of the hoax. It's the number of people that are being duped. The number of people or I mean, if it's a case where um, somebody is I find the, the hardest ones for me, the hardest cases or whatever you want to call them for me are the ones where somebody's life has completely been taken over by a fake person. Um, I had one girl in, um, she, she, well, the woman who wrote the hoax, who, who perpetuated the hoax was in her mid twenties, but the person that she affected was in high school. Um, and she was the person that did the hoax was telling this person that was in high school that she didn't have any support and she was going through cancer and she needed someone to support her. So this poor girl in high school was like quitting her extracurricular activities and her grades went down just because she felt like she had to be available to this person all the time. So if it's something like that, yeah, I would consider writing about it just because I think that sometimes the people that are doing the hoaxes really need to see that they're affecting someone beyond just strokes on a keyboard, you know? Yeah, I mean, that like borderlines into catfishing in a way because you've created this world and you've suckered in a person to alter their life around you with in a, in yeah. a, in a fake story. It's easier for me to write about the people that are just writing these hoaxes so they can get a bunch of followers. Um, when they're writing them just so they can kind of keep one person strung along, that's difficult for me. I just I have a lot of sympathy for the person that's being affected. So you also have, uh, much like me, in my, uh, I have a, a web series called Fascinating Fight, Shameless Plug, and I have a team of experts. And much like me, you have an extremely talented team of experts that help you do this. Yes, I right? do. So let, let's break them down. Who you got on your team? Oh, well, I have, um, I have one woman who is like amazing at genealogy and research. I mean, everybody that I'm talking about is, is a super great researcher. And again, we just all fell together with this thing. So it, this blog has sort of just fallen together in so many ways. It just happened to work out, which is sort of my entire life has sort of worked like that. Um, but anyway, I have a woman in Connecticut who's super great at genealogy, and she's been doing that for years and years, which is really helpful when we're trying to determine whether somebody is a real person or not. Um, I have a woman in the Carolinas who is an amazing researcher, and she also is a homeschooling uh, mom. So she has a lot of research skills that I don't have. Um, I have somebody in Nebraska who has a son who had childhood cancer. who still actually is struggling with it, although he's been doing great for the last couple of years. So she can sort of look at a treatment plan that somebody writes about and, and figure out if it is something that's believable or not. Um, and then I have somebody in Maine who is works in the medical field. He's a paramedic and a, uh, he teaches different people how to how to um, do first aid and things like that. 
So he can kind of look at the entire, <laughs> it works out really well since he came on board because when I used to write about this stuff, I would have to, I am such a humanities major that it's ridiculous. So I would have to start out researching by like, where is the stomach located? What does the stomach do in order to research the cancer? So it's great to have somebody that not only knows what they're talking about, but also can explain it to my little English major brain, you know? Mm-hmm. No, that makes perfect sense. Uh, yeah, so it's worked out. Everybody's really talented, and, and we all see it the same way. I mean, we all have a great deal of sympathy for the people that have been lied to, but we also realize that it's not something that the person who is writing the hoaxes is, is doing just to be a jerk. You know, there's something going on with them, too, and we have sympathy for that as well. So what are the tools of the trade? What are the tricks that you use? I mean, if it's anything proprietary, you don't have to go into it, but, I mean, like, obviously, reverse <laughs> Google images, Facebook checks. What, what do you look into? What are the tricks? Um, for with me, I mean, I just pretty much look at the narrative really closely. I'm a really close reader. Um, I can see if somebody changes the story, you know, like that definitely is a red flag for me. But all of my, my team members all look at different stuff, you know, like they'll look at the medical stuff. I'll look at just the story and the characters and things. And um, it something always kind of sticks out. We solve them all in, in different ways. Um, you know, some of them are kind of technical with IP addresses and stuff that's hosted on, on message boards under one IP address and comments under another, um, which is way above my tech level. Somebody else should explain that in a much better way. But, I mean, reverse image search, um, excess data, things like that. There's there's always ways to sort of see if a story passes the sniff test. And so you're, so basically your best uh, tool that you use is your intuition, in a way. Yeah, at this point, I mean, I, I feel like I've, I've written about this for so long now. It's been four years in May. Um, I have gotten pretty good at sort of seeing a page and knowing if it's legit or not. And again, like I would never just post something based on my intuition or a hunch. I, I really do worry very much about posting something that's not true. And I make sure that I could prove it in 10 different ways before I post something. Um, but I think my intuition is pretty good when it comes to this stuff at this point. Have you ever posted stuff and then it, their story ended up being true? No. Mm-mm. So no mistakes is what you're saying? No mistakes. Okay. Uh, so Not that I, I mean, who knows, in the future I might do that. I'm, I'm certainly not saying that I'm perfect, but as of now, no mistakes. So when you find someone, when you've got a, you know, when you've got a target in your sights and you've locked onto them like a cheetah locking onto a rabbit, what does the communication mm-hmm. look like when you approach that person? Because obviously you can't tip them off. You know, you have to stalk in the grass and kind of like set your traps so that they fall into it. How do you go about approaching a person? A, a hoaxer. I do it with a lot of sympathy. A hoaxer. Um, I do it again. Like I don't think I don't think that somebody that's doing great in their life is going to make up the fact that they have a child who's dying of cancer, and that's their escape from reality. I mean, if I was going to create an escape from reality, I would be a, I don't know, I'd be like a skydiver or something, or like living in the mountains and and dating somebody like amazingly handsome, super (laughs) duper happy. Or like Harry Potter. Harry Potter's a great escape. There, yeah, I'll be dating Harry Potter. Sure. <laughs> I don't know if that, I would go that far. That's no, okay. You know, I certainly wouldn't be like, I need an escape from my everyday life. Oh, what could possibly be better than my life? I know, I'll have a child that's dying of cancer. Um, probably pretty much the opposite. So I don't think any of them are, are super happy in their life, in their lives. Um, I approach them with a great deal of, of um, compassion and kind of understanding because I've talked to so many people that have done this stuff and, I, um, what I try to do is post the blog entry first because then I feel like they're more motivated to talk to me. Um, I talk to them and just explain, Hey, you know, like you did, you're not a terrible person. You did something that's not great and you affected a lot of people. Um, you can move on from this. Like I can help you do that. And we can like make this sort of easier for everybody who you affected. If you like talk to them and I, I say sometimes, Hey, would you like to talk to somebody who's been through, what you've done, um, and now they're on the other side of it, just to sort of give them, I mean, I don't want anybody to feel like they have to just listen to me, and that's it. So um, that's typically how I do it, and, and I try to be, again, like really compassionate and let them know that I'd be willing to talk to them, and I, I, I'm hoping that they could trust me. I mean, it, it's been a huge honor to me, which sounds really weird, but it's been it's been an honor to me to see how many of them have trusted me and have 
opened up to me and, and I hope that they're happy with how I've handled it because I've never revealed anything that anybody has told me in confidence or anything like that. And again, like I, when I started this blog, I thought this person who's doing this must be the most awful human in the world to do something like this that affected so many other people. But every holster that I've written about that I've gotten to know, they have like amazing qualities that I would, I would befriend them if I knew the real them. Like they didn't need to do this in order to make friends. Well, I've read some of those hoaxes. I, I would disagree with some of them, but we can, we're going to get into those in a second. Um, sure. The last question here on this topic is, have you turned this into a profitable business? I mean, it sounds like it's taken up a lot of time. And if not, you should definitely turn it into a profitable business. <laughs> I have not. I had a, so I am the biggest naval gazer in the entire world. And the biggest, wait, the biggest what? Like, I just, I, I overthink everything. Like, I am somebody that I will do something and then wonder about the implications for the rest of my life, which is bizarre, again, because I'm doing something that some people have a real issue with. What, what was the word you used? Naval gazer? Naval gazer. Never heard that before. All right. Thank you. Continue. Oh, that's another one that I thought was a normal one. I don't know. Maybe it's a South <laughs> Chicago thing. Who knows? But I just sort of examined my motivations kind of a lot, and... um I'm, I'm so sorry. I forgot the question 100% right now. Profit, money, get that money. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Thanks. Um, I was going to put ads on the site at the beginning because I had a, a – right away, the blog was really, really – the first day I got 100,000 hits. That was the last time I really looked at the hit counter. Um, I thought about doing ads on it, and then I thought that people would kind of question my motivation as far as writing about these people. Um it also probably would never have been something where I would have been able to like quit my job and made a living off of it. And I just had kind of a problem with doing it like that, which sounds goofy. I know, but I, my, my major thing with this entire blog is, yeah, I know other people would do it differently, but I have to be able to sleep at night. So I have to do it the way that I think is the right way to do it. Mm, that's fair. So, I mean, like I haven't made money off of it yet. Um, I've signed with a network to hopefully develop some sort of, um, web sh- or some sort of TV show that's kind of based on the blog, so I would make money then, um, which would be great. But again, like I, I really didn't want anybody to question my motivation in doing what I was doing. Yeah, but there's lots of people. I mean, they turn catfish into a TV show. Cheaters is a TV show. I mean, it's similar things. Busting people who are you know doing lying about stuff to other people. Yeah, but I think that with my stuff, I, I have a great deal of sympathy for the people that are doing it. Um, which I think is a tough sell. I think that's probably the the critique that I get the most is that I kind of take the side of the people that are, which is not true, but I I do have sympathy for the people that are writing these hoaxes. Um, And I think that's sort of a tough thing to sell to a a network and an audience, but fingers crossed. (laughs) We'll see. You're really selling it now. No, people people like a sympathetic host. Trust me. Um, I mean, I think that that's kind of, I mean, that's how catfish works. I mean, they try to be really nice to the people who are doing it. I mean, you can't be, no one's going to watch, you know, someone who's, like you said, it clearly has, if this is their escape, they don't have a great life, and then blast them on TV. I mean, no one's going to watch that. Or the people who do should be. Well, you'd be, be surprised. You'd be surprised at some of the pitches that I've had from people that, like, want to develop something where I just, like, hide in the bushes and jump out and confront people. Oh, yeah, I guess which, that's, that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's not my thing at all, so. We'll see how it goes. Well, let's talk about, since bushes, weeds, let's get into the weeds here. Weird segue, but let's do it. Let's talk about some of these, like some of the uh, hoaxes that you've busted. Because some of these are elaborate and they're a little bananas. Um, and I think some of them are very confusing. Um, and I think you know them well enough to be able to, to do it. Let's start with, um, there was Jason and Julian. So these are two guys. Now, this one's unique because they were actually looking for money. And this ended up as part of a Nightline episode. This was a big deal. Um, can you kind of break down the story? Sure. Um, Jason and Julian um, are a, a married couple from Alabama. And they actually, yes, Alabama. I get Alabama and Arkansas really confused in my mind sometimes. So they were Alabama. All right. No jokes. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll say that that happens often. Okay, Any, I think it's just the A's. It's nothing yeah. against either state. They're both lovely. And they're close, they're close to each remember. other, sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think, yeah, it's anything south of, of I-80 for people that live Hey-o. in Chicago. <laughs> it's I got that one. In my head. Mm-hmm. There you go. You're, we're the only two. Um, they, um, so Julian 
it was the husband, he was writing about his husband, Jason, who had been struggling with cancer for years and years and years. Um, he also was in the process of suing the hospital because he had had some sort of surgery and they had left staples inside of him. And he was suffering from rusty blood. Um, and he had to have dialysis because his blood was so full of rust because of these staples. So his blood had like a rusty um, tint to it, like it was a reddish brown, unlike everyone else's blood? He said the only thing that they really said was that he had rusty blood, which um, I did a lot of research. <laughs> I talked to a lot of medical people, and that's not a thing. Um, and dialysis, even if it was a thing, would not even if it were a thing, dialysis would not be the way that they would treat it. But anyway, these people, they, he said he had all sorts of different types of cancer. Um, he said he couldn't remember the name of his cancer, but he knew that it began with a C. Um, he said he was on oxygen 24 hours a day, although he posted pictures constantly where he was not on oxygen. He claimed that he was on Medicaid um, in Alabama, although, but for some reason when he went to chemotherapy, they demanded every single session of chemotherapy, they demanded $2,000. None of this stuff is legit. You know, I mean, right away, red flags all over the place. So um, we kind of look closer at the story and, um, they both, each each couple, each member of the um, the Jason and Julian team um, had arrests in the past for bad checks and things like that. I mean, nothing that was too serious, but they definitely had arrest records. Um, I talked to people that knew them after I wrote about it, and after 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 the Nightline story ran, or Nightline was actually trying to find them to talk to them to like talk to them about the blog entry, and they disappeared in the middle of the night. The only thing they left was the oxygen machine. That he was supposedly on 24 hours a day, right. <laughs> which is great. I just love that. That is pretty funny. Uh, you know what? You know what struck me about this story is that as I was reading it, it's one of these weird things where, like, when you want to believe something, everything kind of makes sense, right? So you're looking at these pictures and you're like, "Oh, he does look sick." And then there was one thing that I read where you point out all the silly things going on. Like, there's a picture of him in a hospital room. Um, and there's a you know a monitor yeah. behind him, and you're like, oh my god, he's dying of cancer. And you realize, well, the thing's not hooked up to him. Uh, you point right, you right. point out that he's wearing like one of like a surgical mask that they wear in China to protect themselves from the from the air, you know, like from poisonous air or to stop yeah. you from sneezing. Like there's nothing, no, no one's going to put that on you in, in in a hospital room. There's no there's no oxygen in hooked an up. Intensive care unit. Yeah, That's right. What, they were claiming that was his deathbed, and he wasn't hooked up to anything. That'd be great if you're on your deathbed and you don't have a ton of medical equipment hooked up to you. I think a lot of people would, would prefer that. Uh, it, oh, yeah. I mean, it's it yeah. was totally bizarre. Like, once you start pointing these things out, it's crazy. Uh, there was another one where um, you point out that this person photoshopped their face onto real cancer patients. And it's I, it was crazy because I, I looked at the first picture and I was like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that looks real. And then you post the second picture that it was taken from. And then you then you see all the the Photoshop. You know, it's like learning how a, a magic trick is done. Then you're like, oh, I totally oh, get yeah. it now. You know, like you peek behind the curtain, um, and that's kind of what you do with a lot of these things. Is they look real, people want to believe, and then you point out all these things, and then you think to yourself, how did I even like fall into this artifice? You know, like how did I buy into this? You know. Yeah, I think that that's. I mean, and I think that's how they take so many people in, and and people feel again really dumb when they read the blog, but it's like boiling a frog with people. If they are revealing one crazy thing a week, I think we can all accept that in our Facebook friends or our people that we meet online. But when I present it, it's over the course of it's stuff that's happened over the course of two years and I'm presenting it in one fifteen hundred word blog entry. Yeah, yeah it's gonna look funny, you know, mm. like but just bit by bit, you probably wouldn't even question a lot of that stuff. Yeah, you just think they have bad luck or something. Right, exactly. And I know some people like that where you think, oh my gosh, I can't even believe all the stuff that's happened to them. Yeah, no, it's very true. Uh, there's So there, this one's a little, I don't know if this one's ongoing or not. I didn't really see an end to it. Um, but this is uh, Inez Roca, Mary Amarim. There's like a million other names. This is someone in, I believe, Portugal? Is that right? Yeah, she's a toughie. Um, What's going on there? She is, oh, she, so she keeps taking kids that are suffering from illnesses or kids that are kids whose pictures are posted online. Um, she's claiming that they're her children, and she's like killing them off in horrific, awful ways. And the thing that's really bothering me about about Inez is that she is taking pictures of this little guy Rodrigo, 
who's a little boy who lives in Portugal, who she met. She met through volunteering through a children's hospital there. Um, she's photoshopping angel wings and stuff on them, and he's still alive. Uh, he's got cancer, and he's suffering terribly, and his poor mother keeps finding pictures of him with angel wings photoshopped to him. Um, so she's – the problem with her is she's in Portugal. Um, the language barrier is pretty intense when it comes to me communicating with, like, Rodrigo's mother. I had to – find one of my English teachers from high school found me somebody who spoke Portuguese in order to kind of translate, um, you know, between the two of us. I can't get anybody to really step in in her real life, which is terrible to kind of stop her from doing this. And even after I wrote about her, she's still, now she claims she had a child who committed suicide, who was like 16 years old and killed herself. Um, she's still like killing off all these kids from cancer and in fires and all this stuff. So I don't really think that she's going to stop, but I think that there's something going on with her um, from a mental health perspective that's pretty intense. Uh, yeah, that's a very astute observation. She sounds absolutely bonkers, um, to use, to use yeah. a clinical term. Yeah. But that's right. I'm glad you said uh, that. Now. Right? Yeah. Let me, those are those are your words, not mine. Uh, so those, <laughs> she, I mean, that's a little extreme. I mean, even as far as this goes. I mean, they have some, but like this is the karma thing I was talking about earlier. Like. How can you put angel wings on a child that you know to be alive that you you're you know stealing pictures of purposefully stealing pictures of and creating this artificial world like that's just crazy to me. It bothers me a lot. I mean, without a doubt, I think about that every single time I get an update about her. But there, I keep getting people that email stuff that she's doing, and um, I mean, I don't. I, I could write an entry every week about her. I just kind of am keeping the comment section open where people can sort of say, well, now she's in this community. Like, she just recently joined the community for um, survivors of suicide. She joined communities for kids with heart problems. So she, she steals pictures without a doubt, and she's just sort of making up these stories that I don't know what they're, well, I don't know what it's doing for her. But um, it's disturbing. And I mean, when the real mothers call her out on it, when they like will send her a message and say, hey, that's my kid. She'll say your kid has cancer because of something terrible that you did. Oh yeah, I've read some of the things that she she's she's a lot of vitriol, very vicious with her words. I don't. Yeah, something's going on with her. I mean, I don't know. And again, it's it's really difficult because she lives in a completely different country than me. That I can't really get a hold of somebody that could actually help her. Mm-hmm. Well, so that, let me let me play devil's advocate here. Are you prepared? Okay. So now let's with with a lot of these stories. Now I know this is a horrible segue coming off of Inez, but you know some of these people, the stories that they create are just designed for them to get attention. Uh, they're creating fiction. You know, maybe they're stealing pictures. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're just using themselves. You know, some people were shaving their own head. They were creating this elaborate story for themselves. What what is the harm in that? In creating a you know a fiction or a fiction story, if people are buying into it and then you bust them, aren't you creating more devastation amongst the people who now believe they've been living a lie? Wouldn't they be happier just accepting the lie? Maybe it helps them get through the own pro- the problem that they're going through. Yeah, I mean that's one way to look at it for sure. I can I've heard that criticism before, and I can see that. I mean I know that I've hurt people through the stuff that I've written about, and I know some people would just kind of had preferred to just go along with the story and, and watch as somebody like slowly killed another character off. But um, from, I've talked to, I think I've written about 21 people now that have done this type of thing. And I've talked to maybe 18 of them and to a man, um, they all say that they're very happy that they've been on my blog, which again, like I know sounds crazy. It, it sounds like I'm making it up, but it was sort of like opening, like showing them a mirror and letting them see that they're affecting people beyond just somebody reading fiction on in a book or like on a Kindle or something. Um, I, I think that a lot of them didn't realize how much they were affecting their readers. Um, and I think that once they kind of saw that, it was more easy. It was easier for them to, to turn the page and move on with their own lives and do something in the real world that's more productive than I mean, they, again, they just cannot be happy surrounding themselves with, with cancer and death and people dying, loved ones dying all the time. Um, I think that having them end it um, and having them kind of move on to something that's real in the real world 
has been a good thing for, for the vast majority of people that I've written about. And from the people that I've, I've talked to who were affected by the hoaxes, um, the vast majority, again, are, are really grateful and happy and, and thankful. I mean, I get emails and, and messages and stuff all the time thanking me for what I've done with, with these hoaxes. So I know it's hard for some people to understand, and I, I do read the criticism, and I do take it seriously, and I understand why people say the things that they do, but I've done a lot of research. Um, I've talked to, you know, like experts in the field, like Dr. Feldman, um, and I've interacted with so many people who I've written about, and I, I just think that if if they seem to think that it helped them and, and the experts think that it helped them, um, I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing. Well, just to continue this line of questioning, um, let's say that this t- this type of person, like you said, you can't believe that someone could do this type of stuff, surround them by death, and be happy. Well, like as you said, you're not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. What if there are people out right. there who actually this is how they get through whatever? You know, like that this is creating a fake person and or even to themselves. Like let, let's take the you know the, the the best example of someone who's just saying that they have cancer and perpetuating the story about them. They don't steal pictures, they don't talk about anyone else. It's not about kids, it's about them. They're of age. And it's something it's an escape for them. And once you call them out, not only have you destroyed the fantasy that they've created, but you've also embarrassed them publicly or at least asked them to and to, to apologize and, and you know humiliate themselves publicly, isn't that more devastating to someone who may may need this? Yeah, it could be, without a doubt. I mean, that is something that I do think about, you know, and, and again, like these things, if they don't affect very many people, I talk to the person. I mean, in one case that I'm thinking about specifically, I messaged the person that was behind it and she just like made her Twitter private. Like she's still doing her cancer stuff, but she's really not affecting very many people. Um, I'm certainly not going to like take it to the next level and, you know, like, I don't know. I don't even know what I would do. Complain to Twitter or something. Um, I do understand that, that this might be, I mean, I don't know. It's, I've talked to so many people that have been affected by the people that do this. Nobody does it in a vacuum. I mean, it's one thing if, if somebody's writing a fake diary or something where they're not, they don't have a comment section where they're commenting and keeping people updated and people aren't sitting there every five minutes refreshing to make sure the person hasn't died. That'd be one thing, but that's really not the type of people that I write about. I mean, I write about people that, that are kind of going out of their way to affect a lot of people. And I don't think that that's right. No, I mean, that's fair. And I mean, you've also done a good job of taking these people and converting them. Like you have someone, uh, you know, originally a hoaxer who's now, you know, a busted, who's now a bustee, right? Uh, Jed's, Jedzia, mm-hmm. am I saying that correctly? The name escapes yes, me. Jedzia. Jedzia. So now he, she, uh, which one is it? It's a girl. <laughs> girl. So she helped. She's a woman. She's in her 20s now and she's doing so great. And she helps you bus people. So she's like, you know, an honorary member of the bus squad. She is, and also I also have um, people who have been victims on other cases who have helped me with the most recent ones, which has been great. And I think it's it's great for them because I mean they don't interact with the people that the only people that the only person that interacts with the people that are actually doing this stuff is me. Um, I, I certainly would never like send a team to talk to somebody or anything like that. But um, she's been helping the victim in in the Durr hoax. One of them has been helping me with people who feel really hoodwinked and betrayed, and she talks to them, you know, like the people that are victims of hoaxes. So I think it's it's kind of been a good thing um, to just have people help people that are in the same situation that they've been in. Now this it hasn't all been been um, you know suns and roses and all this stuff. You, you, there's a little bit of backlash from this. Um, one one in particular is a woman named Chelsea Hassinger. Mm-hmm. Now this is an interesting story because supposedly she had the hoax. She apologized. You've talked to her. Um, but then after this seemingly went down, a website went up called Taryn Wright is Wrong, mm-hmm. which basically says that she never talked to you, basically denying the story that you put up on, on your blog. And then you were also sent a legal letter that was telling you to, you know, cease and desist. It's this very official-sounding letter, which you also debunked later on as not being a legal letter, a real from a real law firm. Who do you think is doing this? I mean, do you think that there are people who want you to stop doing this? Do you think this is a one-time deal? What's the story with that? Um, I think that it was Chelsea that was doing it. I mean, that's again just an opinion. I. 
think that Chelsea is probably my best example of Munchausen by Internet because she faked cancer in her real life uh, at least twice. Um, while she was faking cancer in her real life, telling, you know, her kids and stuff that she had cancer and was dying, she also had a character in a, you know, like a Tumblr that she created that she was photoshopping her own picture on the cancer patient's um, pictures that they had posted and saying that she was a separate character also dying of cancer. Um, I would talk to Chelsea on the phone. She wouldn't put anything in writing, and she would, like, confess to everything. And then she'd go into my comment section and say that I had coerced a confession or something. Like, I just don't think that – I think that she's got a real problem with the truth and, like, telling the truth and things like that. But she also had a friend who was really a devoted friend to her, and her, she told her friend that she was dying of cancer, and I was just picking on her. So she was going along with the story just to kind of get me to stop. So the friend went freaking nuts and like I gave the friend, I have this real bad habit where I think, okay, um, yes, I'm writing about something that's sort of controversial, but if I just like approach this with compassion and with logic, like people will believe me, even if they've been lied to for five years by someone, like somehow I thought in my naivete back then that even though she believed this person and was friends with her for five years, somehow I thought that me approaching her with logic, she would just believe me. Um, which was stupid of me, and she did not believe me and kind of made me her target for a lot of things. Like, she went online and she, like, found my family's Facebook profiles. Like, my sister had written about having an anxiety disorder or something, and this girl, like, started blogs writing about my sister. She, like, approached all my Facebook friends and sent them posts saying that I was a liar and all this other stuff, and I don't know if she or Chelsea did the fake legal letter, but they really went all out with the fake legal letter. Like, they had a legal letter. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, I know. It's amazing. They had a voicemail. That's, like, the most incredible part. I don't know if it was a Google Voice thing or anything, but I called the number, and it was like, you've reached the law offices of Grayson and and Sutherland or something. I mean, they went all out, but it was an abandoned building um, with no lawyers known by that name in the state of Pennsylvania. So... It stopped now. <laughs> it went on for a really long time, but for a while I thought, oh my God, I have the worst hobby of all time. What is wrong with you that you've been doing this? Like, I, I just didn't like, it was fine for me when people would say stuff about me. Like, I don't care. She took pictures of me. I used to write a blog about losing weight. She took pictures from that blog and like made it sound like I was like using the pictures to find people to date me and stuff, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> like, just because it was just about wow. me. If it affects my sister, that's when I kind of want to step in and say, okay, you kind of broken the rules of engagement a little here, you know? But have they, though? I mean, you shot first, you know? I mean, you came after them. I mean, this is, you know, you put a target on your back when you went after someone. Whether you were right or wrong, you know, people are going to fight back. Not everyone's going to roll over and just say, oh, hey, I was wrong. Apology to everyone. I'll, I will never do this again. Very you know, I, I'm, I'm actually I'm actually surprised that more people haven't come after you who've been busted by this, especially because they're mentally unstable by definition. And I mean, and the legal letter was sent to your home address, right? Yeah, the was. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, they're, they're, that's scary. It's definitely scary. And it's it's um, I, I've reexamined the way I handle some things since then. Um, again, like I think that that was an eye opener as far as ways that this could affect my life um and and you know like again like I'm not dealing with the most stable of people I think I've gotten really lucky in that I've gotten people that have sort of been able to see that I'm sincere in wanting to help people um but I don't think that that will be the case with every single one of these that I write about and I think that I put in some different protocol as far as how I handle people since then but yeah you're right again like I was very naive to think that every single person would be like, oh, wow, Karen wrote about me and it affected me a lot, but she seems to be a good person. So I'm just going to, now she's my friend, you know, like that was a stupid thing for me to think that that was going to be the case in every single one. No, I mean, look, this is, and this is going to be the quote of the podcast, but uh, I doubt Batman has a Facebook account. You know what I mean? Uh, When you, when you have, when you're on social media as well, like you're, you can, make yourself as much of a target. I mean, you kind of have to, if you're going to do this thing, you almost have to be behind your own walls that you've created. Yeah, but that's not, again, like I have to be the one that's writing this and sleeping at night. Like I don't want to use a fake identity to write about people. 
um, I want to be, I feel like if I'm writing about something online, I want to be proud of it to stand up. For me, if I didn't write it under my own name or if I didn't stand behind it, I shouldn't be writing it. Like, I, I think that if I'm going to take the risk of doing this type of thing, like, I want to do it where I'm standing behind it. And um, I'm not going to, like, I mean, the social media stuff, yeah, it was painful and it was stupid when she was, like, a, you know, messaging people that I knew. But people that I know know me and they know that I'm not a liar and they know that I'm doing something that is kind of riling some people up. So it wasn't a huge, gigantic deal. Um, if they showed up in my house or something, yeah, that would be a different story. Like, I know that there's risks involved with this stuff, and I've done a lot to kind of mitigate those risks. But you're right. It's something that I kind of didn't anticipate when I stumbled on that Facebook post on Mother's Day when I was stuck in bed with my hip problem. No, it happens, and I think you saying that I'm right is a great place to end this podcast. Um, so, what? Uh, where can people find this? It's uh, this is it's Warrior. It's it's funky. What is it? What's your the blog title? It's WarriorEliHoax.com. WarriorEliHoax.com. There'll be links on um, on my website. Uh, you have a Twitter handle as well. Um, I do, but I never use it. I know one is Karen Wright. It's one of my Twitter <laughs> And then, um, you got, they're supposed to be tweeting each other, man. This is, I thought you had a whole network going on there. I, you would think, I never think of using Twitter. Like Twitter is too much of user commitment. Facebook, I feel like I can update once a week and people still think you're active. Twitter is too much for me. That is true. Uh, so at Taryn Wright, did you have one for the Eli hoax, Eli hoax or? I do, but I don't know what it is. I'm a real terrible, um, I'll find okay, it. I'll yeah, do a little bit you. of investigation. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you'll, and you'll after this conversation, uh, yeah, I, I doubt anyone will be clicking on it because now they know you don't use it, but I'm going to put it up there just because. I, I use said Facebook. I Taryn Harper Wright on Facebook. I use that kind of a lot. Taryn Harper Wright. All right. And that is a great place for people to find targets. Uh, your, your former busted can all come after you on Taryn Harper Wright. <laughs> yes, thank you. Make sure you get that out there, you know, please. Yeah, it's very important. Uh, well, Taryn Harper Wright, I want to thank you for being on the show. And uh, I think what you do is it's incredible. It's a little crazy um, and definitely fascinating. My pleasure. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E. A. Barrientos, with music and sound design written and performed by E. A. Barrientos. You can find the show at www.fascinatingnouns.com. And if you like social media, i got plenty of it for you. Facebook.com backslash Fascinating Nouns. Twitter at Fascinating Noun Singular is where you find the show. At Daniel J. Glenn is where you find me. On Instagram, I am at the Daniel J. Glenn. You can find some behind-the-scenes pictures, some short videos. And if you like that bonus material, check out the YouTube channel. Click on it at the bottom of the webpage. It'll take you right there. And for all the pictures that are on every episode, they're all collected on Pinterest.com backslash Fascinating Noun. Enjoy. End of transmission.